This morning, I get the uh, distinct pleasure of talking about a subject of which I am um, an expert on both personally and professionally, which is motherhood. Um, <laughs> not really, <laughs> clearly. If you thought I was serious, then I got a bridge um, that I've been trying to sell for a long time. And uh, <laughs> if I could tell you about it, it'd be great. Uh, no, if, I hope you have your Bibles. If so, go ahead and turn to John chapter 19. We're going to go there in a second. But before we get there, uh, everyone has like that one friend or that one family member or that one acquaintance or that one colleague. Everyone has, there's that like one person that when they start talking, you feel physical pain being in their presence while they talk. They're like, you're just like, oh God. It's like, have you noticed like some people are more draining than others, right? Uh, I'm a pastor, I'm not drained by anyone, clearly, but. Um. <laughs> no, as an introvert though, I feel that, right? Like some people seem to tax me more, seem to take more out of me. And uh, sometimes we think about this maybe more frequently during the holidays. We start to think about Thanksgiving, who's coming over who's sitting next to who, who's maybe not getting invited this year. Or uh, it, could be, it could be, you know, a, a friend or a colleague at work, someone that, that just, uh, they've got a lot of opinions and man, you really don't care. <laughs> and you wish that they didn't just share them all the time. It's exhausting sometimes. Everyone has that one friend. And if that person is here today, just make eye contact with me. I don't want to get you in trouble, okay? <laughs> Not gonna raise, you know, raise your hand, you're not gonna write their name and give it to God or anything. Like, just, just straightforward. It's safe as long as you look up to the platform. All right. That one friend. You know, when I was getting ready to do this sermon, when Scott asked me, he was like, hey, John, Jesus said like these seven things, seven statements, we referred to them on the cross. And the third one is the one we're gonna talk about today. Jesus addressing John the disciple and addressing his mother. And as I was getting ready for that, I realized something that we probably don't want to admit, and that's that Mary is the one friend. Why don't we talk about her? If it's not Advent or Easter, she doesn't come up. Hardly ever. Unless you're a Catholic. And, and so I really sat down with like a lot of time spent on this passage, on Jesus' relationship to his mother, on his relationship to his disciples, and I really wanted to dive in, why is this the case? And, and friends, we kind of need to own it a little bit because Protestants are the only ones who are kind of weird about Mary. We, we think the Catholics are weird about Mary. I think that Jesus loved Mary deeply. There's a, there's a quote that I, I read while I was getting ready for today. It's St. Maximilian, and he said that you shouldn't fear uh, loving uh, Mary deeply, the Blessed Virgin deeply. You can never love her more than Jesus did. Now, I, I understand when I see that, when I read that, when I say that, we're not supposed to worship Mary. I do want to throw out there, I have never met a Catholic who says we should worship Mary. Just saying. So what is worship, right? Worship would be deifying her, would be saying that she is equal or co-equal to God, and she isn't, no one is. 
but she is Mary. She is his mother. And we get uncomfortable when we talk about it. Because we, we want to love her, we want to like her, we want to talk about her, but we don't want people to get the wrong idea. And so we hold back. And so I want to move us today from a place where Mary is no longer that one friend, but instead someone that we openly talk about, someone we openly love. Because I contend that when you get to know the people in your spouse's family, in your girlfriend or boyfriend's family, in your significant other's family, you tend to love that person more. I know this. In 2014, I got married to my beautiful wife, Hannah, and I love to, to, to joke that I don't get to participate in all of the jokes about in-laws. The ones that are like, oh, they're awful. Oh, the mother-in-law's calling, ugh, this, ugh, that. My in-laws are amazing. They're like some of the best people I've ever met. I love her parents, Mary and David. It's hilarious to me that her name is Mary, given what we're talking about today. And I just, I love them so much. And as I got to know Mary and David, I got to know Hannah better by extension. As I spent time with her parents, as I got to know what made them tick, as I got to know what they were passionate about, I was able to get this clearer picture over time of who my wife was and the world that she grew up in, the perspectives that she has on things, where we differ, where we're alike, and it creates a deeper, richer relationship with Hannah. It's not that I love her parents more than her, but it's that by loving her parents well, I love her better, more intimately, more deeply, more intricately. And so as we talk about Mary today, we're not saying that she's co-equal with God, but we're saying that she bore God. And sometimes we get a little too dismissive about it. We say that there's nothing special about Mary. Okay, maybe, but like really though, he didn't pick you. (laughs) He didn't pick me either. None of us are Jesus's mom or dad on earth, right? So there had to be something And I think what that something was, was obedience, humility, and God saw himself in Mary. It's not that she was so great that she deserved it. That's not true of any person ever in the history of the earth. None of us are so great that we deserve it. But she was faithful, she was humble. And so in John 19, we see Jesus uh, uh, saying this, and this is like... Honestly, one of my favorite things. We're gonna, man, we're gonna really go for it today. All right, John 19, starting in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Clopas, Clopes, if you're fancy, and, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we crack open your word, as we spend time studying and discussing, I pray that you would fill us with a, uh, a soft heart, with an openness to, to hear from you and your Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, these next few minutes, help me to, to communicate clearly what you want 
people to hear and not what I want to say. Lord, we give this time to you. We trust you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus turns to John, and he says, behold your mother. And it says that from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. There's a couple things that this implies. One, that Joseph is out of the picture. It's pretty much accepted by the time that Jesus's public ministry began, Joseph was dead, that he was no longer alive, that Mary was a widow. But Jesus wasn't alone in the family. He had four brothers. As a guy with four brothers, I can relate. It's rough. (laughs) But think about it. I mean, two of the brothers, James and Jude, who wrote the books that are named after them in the New Testament, James and Jude, they were brothers of Jesus, half-brothers, technically. But you know what's really interesting? They didn't come to faith in Christ until after he died and resurrected. So for 33 years, Jesus was on this earth for some extended period of that amount of time. Jude was there and James were there. And I'll be honest, if one of my brothers started saying that they were God's son, I would think they were crazy too. I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) Anyway, there's a whole rabbit trail we could go on, we're not going to. But James and Jude didn't follow Christ, didn't give faith to him until after Jesus died, was buried and resurrected. And then James ran the church in Jerusalem for 30 years. 30 years. So then it begs the question, why would Jesus say to the disciple John, behold your mother? How I've always interpreted it for the majority of my life was that he was caring well for his family. That in this moment, it wasn't just Jesus the great savior, it was Jesus the son of Mary and that he just wanted to look after his mom. And I think that's beautiful. And I love it. And I don't think that that's incorrect. I just think that it might be incomplete. I think, if I may be so bold, that maybe when Jesus is talking to the disciple whom Jesus loved, who in the entire book of John written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, never says his own name, never says I, never says we, never says our. It's not about John. And so when when he takes this moniker on himself, it's because he's trying to make sure that people hear the details that matter, the details of the life and ministry of Christ. Throughout the book of John, when when it's addressing him, the disciple whom he loved or the disciple or whatever, it is usually taken to be a statement that was yes to a real person, but is for us because we are all disciples. We are all uh, co-heirs with Christ, right? And so if we are adopted into the family of the Trinity, if we are adopted into the family of Christ, then by extension, maybe we got a mom too. And you know, this topic is a little sensitive for me. 10 years ago, I, I lost my mom. 2014, May 2014. 
She had had cancer at that point for three years. Uh, when she got it, the doctor said that she had six months to live, uh, and she fought for three years. I was the only one of her kids to go to college. She wanted to see me graduate. She died two weeks after I graduated. Four weeks before my wedding. All of my brothers had gotten married. All of them had kids. And she passed just a couple of weeks before my wedding day. And I'll never forget, actually, if, if you guys remember, in July of last year, after the accident, after we lost Michelle, the, some of the young adults and youth and folks put flower after flower after flower in the pew right there where she sat for nearly 30 years. And it, I lost it. I mean, I missed Michelle and I was grieving that, but it immediately reminded me of my wedding day because that's what Hannah did. When she came down the aisle, before she got up on the platform, she set a rose down on the pew where my mom would have been. <clears throat> you know, in some families, it's not uncommon for uh, people to call their in-laws mom or dad, especially if they're able to have a really close relationship with them. But by the time I met Mary and David, my mom already had cancer, and we were already told that it was terminal, and it was just a really sensitive issue for me. And it was no fault of Mary's whatsoever, but I just never really got in that habit. Never really felt right to call someone else mom while I was losing mine. It felt like I was doing a disservice to my mom. Reality is, I, I wasn't. That was all just what I was feeling inside, but my mom deeply loved Hannah, and I'm so grateful that for the three years that she was sick, Hannah was able to be at our house like several times a week. She got to know my mom before she passed. It's hard. And then when she did pass, I flew up to Kentucky, and I spent a week with Hannah's family, and it was the best decision I ever made that I was strong-armed into doing by a coworker who realized that I was grieving and wasn't going to go, and he made me go, which was the right decision. And I remember before I left, I hugged Mary. I said, I love you, Mom. And we both cried a lot. <laughs> but that taught me something very important. Moms are more than people who give birth. Moms are more than, than the, 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 the woman that, that physically delivered me and then raised me. There's a lot of people who aren't raised by the person who delivered them, and yet they call that person mother or father. And so I see Jesus' point here as he says, woman, behold your son. Saying, Mary, I'm leaving. You're not alone. I know that James and Jude don't believe in me. You're not alone. I know that right now this looks really bad. You're not alone. I know that when the angel came to you, he said that a sword was going to pierce your heart. This is that moment, and you're not alone. You have John, and John, you're not alone. I know I've been a rabbi to you, I've been a teacher to you, I've been a father figure to you. I know that you are losing me in this moment, but you are not alone. Behold, Mary is your mother. 
now. And to me, this is an important thing that, that we, can, we can take, that we can hold on to, that we can find comfort in. It's not that Mary is, is being deified, that she's divine in some way, that she is in some way God. It's not that. It's just that maybe the woman that raised Jesus by God's choice for 33 years is worth talking about every once in a while. Good. <laughs> Love you, Pastor. <laughs> okay, all right. So um, we, we talked about St. Maximilian. I'm going to read another quote here from, from Timothy Keller, and then I want to talk a little bit about Mary's legacy. But this quote from Timothy Keller, probably my favorite theologian of the modern era, Mary was a nobody who became greater than everybody simply because God came to her and she responded in the humblest possible way. She reasoned, she doubted, she surrendered, she connected with others, and you can too. Now, what's interesting is Timothy Keller had like the guts to say that Mary became greater than everybody, right? That could be a real point of contention. And uh, if it's a point of contention for you, I'd love to talk about that later. But right now, I want to talk about something a little bit uh, different. I want to dive into why maybe she was greater than everybody. What did he mean by this? And so we're going to turn to Scripture again. And if you guys want to throw the next verse uh, that's, that's right after that up there, I believe it's in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> we're going to read this. This part of, of Mary's story, it's one of the things that she said in Scripture. It's probably the longest like, statement Mary makes in the entirety of the gospel. And we're going we're gonna to read it. If you've ever heard the Magnificat, it uses this part as Mary's song. And so in Luke 1, 46 through 55, buckle in, we're going to read nine verses. I believe in you. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Listen to me, right now, Mary has just encountered Elizabeth. John the Baptist is in her womb and has just leapt for joy in her presence, the same way that David leapt for joy in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. As he danced in the streets, leapt for joy. Mary is now in the presence of a pregnant Elizabeth, and John the Baptist has leapt in her womb when Mary and Jesus came near. And this is her immediate response to that. This is Mary's response to that. Continuing on. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's legacy. You know, as I um, mentioned earlier, I've, I've not met a Catholic who worships Mary. They probably exist, I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying that no one ever takes it too far. My personal experience with the Catholic Church isn't that though. You know what they do say about Mary? It's not that she was 
the greatest. It's not that she was the best person ever. It's not that she was God in some way, but that she is a guide for us pointing to Christ. And if, if that gives you pause for a moment and you want to say, well, John, it says that you can't come to the Lord unless the Father calls and the Holy Spirit compels, you're not wrong. But also, if you're a grandparent who's been praying for the salvation of your grandchild for 37 years, bringing them to church dutifully week after week after week after week, you didn't save them, but God used you in their salvation. And so what I'm saying is Mary isn't taking the role of the Holy Spirit. She isn't the one doing the saving, but we cannot discount what her life was and what her life meant to Christ, just like we can't discount the hours that so many of you I know have spent on the floor in your bedroom on your knees crying out to God for someone in your family. I have four brothers. All of us grew up in the church. All of us knew Bible stories. We all knew about Noah. We knew about the Holy Spirit. We knew all this stuff. Today, um, myself and three of my brothers uh, follow Christ. One doesn't. And it's the one that I'm closest to. We're only three years apart. He's one of my very best friends in life. And like James and like Jude, there's no faith there right now. And it hurts, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And so when I think about that, I'm reminded of, of Jesus, right? Jesus experienced that. His, his own brothers didn't believe in him until after he resurrected. But then they, like, they believed. That seems easy, right? Like they saw him die, and then they saw him resurrect. I don't know how they get full points for the faith at that point. I feel like it's not really faith. You just, you know, like you saw him, you know? Like I didn't get to see Jesus after the resurrection, but I believe. And so in Matthew 28, we're going to get to uh, my favorite story about Mary, my, my favorite one. It's not the story from the angel appearing to her, though it's a wonderful story. This is immediately after the resurrection. This is Easter Sunday. And we're going to talk about Mary's legacy as it relates to this passage as well. So Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, uh, and the other Mary, there were, there were two Marys and a third one. There's a lot of people. <laughs> Just depends. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They fainted. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, that you will see him there. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. I love that combination. With fear and yet great joy. And ran to report it to his, Jesus' disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, the women who ran from the tomb, to carry the message to the disciples. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. 
Go and take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. One quick thing I, I want to make sure some of you understand. I may have mentioned it in a previous sermon at some point, but uh, <clears throat> it's really significant that the first people to, to hear the news that Jesus resurrected were women. Very significant, not just in like a, ooh, people care today kind of a way, but like, like women were, were discounted. They were, they were looked over, they were ignored. Their testimony was not considered valid in court. Women couldn't give an eyewitness testimony. That's insane. I don't care when you live, I don't care what culture you live in, like to take a whole sect of the population and say they don't count. It's unfortunately something that still happens to this day. Whether it's with women or people of color, discrimination exists real, and we can't shy away from that fact. And that is why I think it was intentional that, that three women went to the tomb first. Because God is saying, I don't care what the courts say. I don't care what the Roman government says. I don't care what the rabbis say. I'm telling you because you matter, and you're going to tell people, not me. You're going to do it, and they're going to believe you. And they're going to learn that they can believe you, that they can trust you. Because you're a woman, it doesn't make you second. You are not uh, inferior to men. You get to carry the greatest message that's ever been proclaimed, and that is the resurrection of your king. And so Mary's legacy here, look at this. Jesus literally tells her, don't be afraid. Take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So he sends Mary what? To tell the disciples Jesus is in Galilee, go. Her legacy, pointing people to Christ. Doesn't mean she saves them, but she guides people to Christ. That's what we see throughout scripture. I'm gonna end with this. Does anyone know, and Pastor Scott might, so if he does, no cheating. He's, he's a theologian like I am, so we know everything about Scripture, so just don't quiz me. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you, that's all. <laughs> no. Um, the last words recorded from Mary in Scripture, what is the last thing she ever said? Does anyone know? Yay. i excited. You're going to learn something new. It's a really short phrase, and it's way earlier than you would expect, right? So, like, Mary is in chapter 28 of Matthew. She's in all these other passages throughout Matthew. The last recorded words of Mary are from the first miracle that Jesus ever performed at the wedding at Cana as she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What a great legacy. I wish that that was my legacy, that I would get to heaven and that I would be met with scores of people who said, John, you weren't in it for yourself. You wanted to point people to Christ. Do whatever he tells you. That's why I pray for us. That's why I pray for you. I pray that if you hear anything today, you can trust Mary, you can trust Scripture, you can trust Jesus. And if you ever get lost... If you ever need a light to guide you home, Jesus is there. Maybe, maybe he's in Galilee. I don't know what Galilee is for you, 
but maybe you feel like you've just come out of those three days after he died. Things are a little dark. You thought for sure he was the coming savior, but now, I don't know. And then someone's going to come to you and they're going to say, Jesus is in Galilee. Go, this is what I love is Jesus didn't just teleport to them and say, I'm back. He, he made them come to him still because he had things he had to do in Galilee. Limited amount of time after the resurrection before he went back to heaven. And so he told the disciples, come. I'd argue that's Jesus' legacy. It's what he challenges people with. Follow me. Follow me. Come, join me. Walk with me. And so Jesus is trying to reestablish this relationship that we had with the Trinity in the Garden of Eden. The shoulder to shoulder, walking alongside, talking with. And so when we hear the words, woman, behold your son, behold your mother, we, we don't hear these words as just the last gasping breath of Jesus wanting to take care of his mom, which is good, but it's more than that. It's, woman, you are not alone. You have John. John, you're not alone. You have Mary. So I'm gonna pray for some, some people. Um, if you, I don't know, maybe you've lost a parent like I have, or maybe you're more, maybe you're like Mary, you've, you've lost a kid or you've lost a spouse, you've lost something. Maybe it's not even a person. Maybe you've just lost hope. There's a deep sense of, of loss in the world today. Uncertainty, fear. And I love that passage in Matthew 28. It says that they ran with fear and great joy. You don't have to get rid of fear to know God. Because here's the thing, you can't. He can. You don't have to fix it yourself. And so I want to I just take a moment. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up or, or put your hands up, but I would just ask that, let's all close our eyes for a second. I'll do it too. I won't even look at you. I'm not cheating. Now you know. Because the reality is, like, I don't want you looking at me, right? I mean, I'm not God. Mary's not God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit, the Father. And so this morning, if, if you need something, if you, if you just desperately need to cling to someone, I'm here to tell you, like, it's not just salvation that Christ brings. It is a transformed mind and life. It is hope. It's hope. And even if everything isn't fixed this week or this year, it'll be okay because you'll have God. Lord, we come to you this morning. We give ourselves to you, Lord. As the song says, so you can use me. Lord, I pray for us here, for people who are in pain, who are suffering, for those of us who have lost so much. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we are not alone. 
that you have lost, that you have suffered. We thank you for the testimony of Mary that she suffered so much, but she never failed to point people to you. So Lord, I pray for hope. I pray for light. I pray for life in us this morning. I pray that as we go throughout the rest of this week, Lord, that we would be able to walk out practically what it means to be a family with one another. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name.